0: We bless you, we praise you, we celebrate you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Just clap. I think that was worthy of praise of the Lord. (laughs) Children, sixth grade and below, you are dismissed to go downstairs to your time of study. Everybody else, somebody quit giving him caffeine in the mornings. I don't know. He, uh, take your Bibles. Turn to Hebrews 1. Hebrews 1, chapter 4. Thanks, David. Uh, today, I'd like to wish Larry Powell a happy birthday. Today's Larry's birthday. Larry is not. Uh, only a friend. He is uh, foundational to who we are at Fullness Christian Fellowship. Uh, I've told uh, a lot of people in the past that if it weren't for Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and Larry Powell, there would be no fullness, and uh, that is very true. We're so grateful for Larry and Jan, and so happy birthday, friend. Pray you have a happy 40th birthday again. (laughs) Hebrews 1, verses 4 and following we're going to study today. Um, Before we look at that, just look up here for a second. Let me give you a little background for those of you who didn't happen to be here last week. I'm not going to review everything we talked about last week, but I do want to kind of get a running start of where we're headed today. The book of Hebrews is a very rich and a very theologically deep book. Uh, We love to read it, but a lot of times as we're reading, it's hard to get our minds and our spirits our hearts around what is really being said in the book of Hebrews because it is so rich and so deep. Several weeks ago, I was in Colorado. I uh, went there with my brother. Uh, we try to get away uh, every year. Uh, we had to move up our trip a little bit, so it was just me and my brother, and we're in the mountains at about 10,000 feet. And I have to confess that when I went to on this trip, uh, I was a little discouraged um, I had been discouraged over the past uh, weeks and months, really. I've been battling within myself a number of things that were going on. And um, I was discouraged, honestly, about some things at church. I was discouraged about my life personally. I was just battling, pushing through uh, in faith and hope and grace and love and all the things. You know, we all get up, we all get down. Uh, My swings, hallelujah, aren't very huge. Um, I don't go really high or really low. I'm, Kathy says I'm always like kind of like this, um, uh, which is, can be a good thing, I think, uh, to be steady and stable. Uh, but as I was looking back at my life, one of the questions that I kept battling with, so to speak, in my own personal life was this, why am I no better than I am by now? Uh, I don't know if you've ever asked yourself that question, but kind of the thought that was going through my heart and my life was, I, I'm, I'm 55 years old now. I've been a Christian since I was six or seven, raised in a godly home. I have had every spiritual advantage, I think, that a person could be given. Uh, my my mom and my dad loved Jesus, uh, loved the Lord, pointed me toward Christ. Uh, I've had godly friends. I've had uh, just... Uh, a. In in many ways, from a spiritual standpoint, what you would say is a charmed spiritual life, God has looked out after me. And I've been a part of great churches. Uh, I've had the opportunity to found an incredibly wonderful church, Fullness Christian Fellowship. Uh, As far as being a pastor goes, it does not get any better than this church. Uh, It is just a great place to pastor. I I mean, I read the Word, I fast, I pray, I go to church all the stinking time. Uh, I mean... (laughs) Really, I, I, I was looking at my life and thinking, why am I still battling some of the things that I battle? Why am I no better than I am? One of the things that I felt God was speaking to me is that possibly, in all my trying to be better, that I'm missing the things that really matter that if my being better is really dependent upon me trying harder to be better and accomplishing being better, then would it be possible that I might have another problem once I got better in my trying to be better in that I would be battling pride because I'm the one who made me better? In the book of Hebrews... We find the author of Hebrews, who we really don't know who it is. There's a lot of debate, a lot of speculation over who wrote it. He's writing to a group of Jewish people who were Jewish at one time, but are now believers. They're predominantly Jewish. We don't know if they're in Jerusalem. We don't know if they're in Rome. They're in some major urban city. But they've been following Christ for a period of time now, and they've become discouraged in their walk. They're undergoing things we don't even understand. They're undergoing persecution. They're undergoing trials. They're they're struggling with, why am I no better than I am? And why is the Christian life really not bringing some things? Why am I still, the circumstances really coming against me? Why is life so hard? So, they're actually thinking about going back. They're contemplating You know, at least in Judaism, I knew the rules. I knew in Judaism, if I followed the law, if I went to temple or synagogue, if I made sacrifices, if I did all these things, then at least I know where I stood. Right now, it's hard for me to know, am I winning or am I losing? They had lost their edge. For those who weren't thinking about going back, they were thinking about just giving up. Okay, I'm just, I've just become apathetic. I'm just not going to try as hard anymore. Some were just wishing they could go ahead and die so that they could just go on to heaven because I, I think there are a lot of people, even here today, who are struggling with some of these same things. You're wondering is this really worth it? I've been a Christian for a long time. I've been going to church. I'm trying to do the right things. But why am I no better than I am? Why is life still so hard? How do I walk in grace and joy and victory? How do I keep pressing through without becoming apathetic or just giving up? Many of us, in our attempts to accomplish these things, We'll change things in our lives, thinking if we can change our circumstances, then maybe we can change the outcome. So people are changing churches. They're changing spouses. They're going to another conference. They're going to um, try harder. They're going to do a bunch of different things in order to try and find that spark that they think that they must be missing. The author of Hebrews says to the readers, what are you going to go back to? What are you going to go to? Everything you need is found in Jesus. Everything you need is found in Jesus. And I'm going to hit this point over and over and over and over and over again over the next 17 weeks until maybe I get it and you get it and we get it, that Jesus is God's final, ultimate word to us about himself and that Jesus is not just the door to the Christian life. Jesus is the foundation. Jesus is the walls. Jesus is the kitchen. He's the closets. He's the attic. We never move away from Christ. We move deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper into him. If we're going to experience the joy of the Christian life, then we have to constantly consider Jesus. What we have on your bulletin and on the logo that's here is not just consider Jesus, but what looks like an arrow is actually a greater than symbol. Consider Jesus greater than, and you can put whatever you want on the other side of the equation. Anything that you may think, Any problem you have, any issue you have, any struggle you have, anything you may be tempted to lean into other than Jesus, consider Jesus greater than. Today, we look, well, last week we looked at how Jesus was the final and most complete revelation of God to humanity. And that as a result, we're to be pursuing him. Really, we're to be furiously obsessing over Jesus. He is our priority. And now the author of Hebrews is going is to take us into a lengthy discussion about how great Jesus really is and the greatness of Jesus. And so for the next two chapters, he's going to tell us how Jesus is greater than the angels. Now, we might be saying to ourselves, our first response might be, well, okay, well, what is the big deal that Jesus is greater than the angels? Of course Jesus is greater than the angels. Isn't this a little bit of overkill, two chapters to talk to us about how Jesus is greater than the angels? Let me give you the background. Let me tell you what he says, and then I'm going to give you the points that I think speak to us today. So here's the background. These people, these Jews, Judy, uh, the Hebrews... Uh, are thinking about going back to uh, Judaism. But to do that, they've got to figure out, what do we do with Jesus? We can't go back to Judaism if we declare that Jesus really is God in the flesh. Are, Are you with me? They can't go back to synagogue. They can't go back to temple, uh, assuming the temple's still there, that the book of Hebrews is written before 70 A.D. Again, we don't know. But whatever it is, they can't go back to Jewish worship and still declare that Jesus is God in the flesh. But if they can make Jesus an angel, even a higher-ranking angel, then they could go back and say, you know, Jesus is an angel. He was a messenger from God. And he came and gave us his message. So they're, str- they're talking about going back to Judaism by declaring Jesus, is. you're with me? Because Jews, the Jews held angels in high regard. They believed that the word of God in the Old Testament, their word of God, came through both the prophets and angelic messengers. And so they held angels in very, very high regard. As a matter of fact, they took great pride in the word that they got was from angels. As well as the prophets. So, if they can declare Jesus as an angel, then their things are good. They can go back. What they're doing, what they're doing in actuality is trying to recreate Jesus to fit what they want. They're making Jesus a lesser Jesus. Which we'll see in the weeks ahead is really no Jesus at all. So the author of Hebrews uses Old Testament scripture passages. He's going to quote seven of them to show that Jesus is no angel, that <laughs> that's kind of funny to say. It. Jesus is no angel. That Jesus is not an angel, but that he is in fact, sometimes I crack myself up. Y'all should hang with me. In fact, in fact, he's greater than the angels. And then he's going to say, Jesus is greater than Moses. Jesus is greater than the priesthood. Jesus is greater than the temple. Jesus is greater than. But let's summarize what he's saying today. So hang with me, um, and I think you'll uh, understand. I know you will. Here's Hebrews 1, verses 4 and 5. Hebrews uh, 1, 4, by the way, is kind of a transitional verse. It's coming out of the introduction, but it's leading into the next section. And here's what it says. So he became, Jesus, as much superior to the angels as the name he has, his, he has inherited is superior to theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say? And now here's where he begins quoting Old Testament passages. You are my son. Today I become your father. Or again, I will be his father and he will be my son. He's quoting from Psalms and 2 Samuel here. He's saying, first of all, that Jesus has a superior name. He is and always has been the son of God. No angel can claim to be a son of God. So the first superiority that Jesus has over the angels is that he's the son of God. Angels can't claim that. Hebrews 1.6. And again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Now he's quoting from Deuteronomy 32. This is from the Song of Moses. He's greater not only because he has a superior name, the name of Jesus, uh, a son, but he is also superior because he has a superior honor. He is worthy of worship. On the night he was born... An angelic host appeared to the shepherds, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. Revelation chapter 5, verses 11 through 13. We see the angelic host bowing to Jesus and saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. At his birth, his death, because of his death, his resurrection. Jesus is worshipped by the angels. Angels do not worship each other. As a matter of fact, I'm not going to get into this long, but uh, Lucifer, who is considered one of the three named angels in the Bible, fell because he tried to get other angels to worship him instead of God. And as a result, he was cast out of heaven, he fell, worship got all screwed up, Jesus is worthy of worship, but he only because he's not, not only, but because he's not an angel. Hebrews 1, verses 7 through 9, going on. In speaking of the angels, he says, "...he makes his angels winds, his servants flames of fire. But about the Son, he says, "...your throne, O God, will last forever and ever, and righteousness will be the scepter of your kingdom." You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. Quoting from Psalm 104 and Psalm 45. He's greater because he has a superior name. He's greater because he has a superior honor. He's worthy of worship. And then he's greater because he has a superior status. The angels are what? According to this. You can talk to me. I want to make sure you're awake. They're servants. They're messengers. What is Jesus? He's the son, but he's something else in this passage. He is king. He is king. He's not a servant. He is a king. His scepter, his throne, his reign. It speaks of his eternal sovereignty. Hebrews 1, 10 through 12. He also says, In the beginning, O Lord... You laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will roll them up like a robe. Like a garment, they will be changed. But you remain the same, and your years will never end. Jesus is greater than the angels because he has an eternal existence. Eternity past, eternity present, eternity future. The angels because they are created beings, are temporal. So Jesus is greater because he's eternal. Going on, uh, Hebrews 1, verses 13 and 14. To which of the angels did God ever say, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? He's greater than the angels because he has a superior job. The angels serve the son rules. All of this looks good, but what does it mean to us? Even today, I would claim that angels are a relatively safe topic in our society. I mean, we are enamored with angels. I mean, people collect those little cherub, fat-looking little angel figurines they hang all over their house. People, I'm sorry, I'm preaching to, sorry. Um, We we, uh, have TV shows about angels, we're touched by angels, we've got angels that drink, angels that smoke, angels that are fallen, we've got angels. I mean, we are enamored in entertainment, and if you want to talk about angels, you're safe, but I dare you to talk about Jesus. Because Jesus is not safe. Jesus will create controversy. At least the Jesus the Bible talks about here. The one that's the Messiah. The one who is the Son of God and in turn God the flesh. The Jesus that is the sovereign ruler of the universe and who is worthy of the worship of angels and men. The Jesus who's been given a name above every name. As a result, we are at times tempted to recreate Jesus in an image that's more palatable to us. A Jesus that doesn't offend. A Jesus that we can control. A Jesus that was a great teacher. A Jesus that was a great man. Now, that Jesus may have some benefits, But that is not the kind of Jesus that will truly save us. Only a Jesus that is fully God can accomplish what is truly needed in our lives. The greatness of Jesus is effective because the greatness of Jesus is personal. In Romans 1, Paul tells his readers that God has spoken in many ways to humanity. If you read um, Romans 1, 2, and 3, you, you see that Paul is carefully lining out uh, a revelation of God that leaves all men without excuse. In other words, he says, God has revealed himself to mankind through creation. Look around at the created order. You see God revealing himself. I don't know about you, but when I'm sitting on a balcony at 10,000 feet and looking at the Rocky Mountains, God speaks to me. There's something about nature where I see God speaking. Now, I don't worship nature, but I hear God. I see the revelation of God through his created order. Uh, I I believe by just looking at the complexity of our bodies and how God has designed us, I, I, I come away with this feeling, how could anyone not believe there is a God? Paul goes on and says, not only has God revealed himself through creation, but God has revealed himself through our own conscience. How do we know what's right and wrong to do? There's an inherent rightness and wrongness. Now, evolutionists will say, well, it's it's from thousands and thousands and thousands of years of evolution that we have this thing in us that that has kind of a moral compass that helps guide humanity. We kind of know what's right and wrong. We know it's for instance, wrong to kill our children in general. Um, We know that that's wrong because evolution says you shouldn't do that. You won't have people left. But Paul is saying God's law, God's words are written even in our fallen state. Because of our conscience, it's a way that God is revealing himself to us that there is a God. Then he says there's a third level of revelation there's the Old Testament scripture that God has given. God's revealed himself to creation through our conscience and then through the Old Testament in part and parcel he revealed himself but then he gets to this magnificent passage in Romans 3, the real heart of the book of Romans in verse 21 he says this "But now what does he mean by but now? creation, conscience, The old testament all were revelation of god but now god has shown us or revealed to us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law as was promised in the writings of moses and the prophets long ago we are made right with god by placing our faith in jesus christ and this is true for everyone who believes no matter who we are For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standards. Yet God, with undeserved kindness, declares that we are righteous. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. The ultimate revelation of God to us is in the person of Jesus Christ. And Paul is going on to say God speaks to us through Jesus because he's revealed himself to us by Jesus. And that revelation is personal. All of us individually have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I mean, you can look to the person to your left and your right and just say, you know what? You sinned. You fall short of God's glory. Why? Because everyone in this room did. I I didn't say do it. I said you could do it. (laughs) Don't look at your husband or your wife, you sinner, you. But God's revelation to us is personal. In Jesus, we can be made right with God because of what he accomplished on the cross. Romans 3 goes on and tells us that it was because of Christ's sacrifice on the cross that our sins can be set aside, our sins can be forgiven. Paul goes on and says it's not just sins, our sins, but it's all sins, past, present, present and future were taken care of by Jesus Christ on the cross. The truth is this. Only God, only God had the currency that could pay for the debt of our sin. All of us have sinned, and what we deserve, the wage of it, is death. And the only way it could be paid for is by what Jesus Christ did on the cross. And the only way it could be paid for is by God paying for it himself. You don't even have the right dollars in your wallet to be able to pay for your sin. Only God could do it. We receive what Jesus did as a gift of grace and by faith. If Jesus is not greater than the angels, then what was accomplished on the cross Really didn't accomplish anything. We're still lost in our sins. We're still apart from God. We're still dead if it wasn't God dying on the cross, if it was merely some angel. But He is God and He does speak to us personally. Back to uh, Hebrews 1, verse 1, where He says In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us individually and corporately by his son. You know, this should be, <clears throat> this should make joy well up within us. To understand that Jesus is speaking to us personally. Now, here's the question you've got to get a hold of, or the answer, or something of that nature <laughs> that you've got to get a hold of. It's this, some of you and I, we struggle at times thinking this, I am not good enough for God to speak to me personally. Satan condemns us, attacks us, does all sorts of things to try and say to us that God is a great God He's worthy of praise, but he's really great for everybody else. That I'm so bad that he can't really speak to me personally. That really what you're saying is that the work of Christ on the cross, it's hopefully enough to get me into heaven, but it's really not enough for me now. If you do that, then you know what's happened? You are making Jesus lesser than he really is. Because, here's the great news. This is not about you. This is about him. And if you put you on the other side of the equation, consider Jesus greater than you, then Christ is personal for you. But if you put you on the greater than equation than Jesus, you're always going to be backing up. Are you with me? This This is... The basic equation of Christianity. And if we can't get it, we'll never move forward from where we are right now. We will continually struggle. God is amazing in how he speaks personally. Years ago, I was in Albania. And I'd gone on a mission trip with my dad. I'm not sure if Chris was with me or Larry was with me on this particular trip. But we went down into a basement below a cafeteria that we were staying in. And there were a bunch of Albanian believers kind of gathered their leadership team of this church we were working with. Gathered around this table. And my dad, being my dad, uh, just asked a question and said, hey, let's go around the room and talk about how we came to know Jesus. You know, I am so pitiful in my faith. I'm looking around the room. Good Lord, there are 30 people here. It's already 10 o'clock. We're going to be here till like 1 in the morning. You know, that's how my mind starts. I just, I'm so spiritual. You know, I'm thinking about the time it's going to take. It was the most amazing thing I've ever heard. Albania was a totally communistic country up until the early 90s. It was considered the most atheistic country. Country in the world, their their um, leadership uh, totally outlawed any religious expression, none whatsoever. No God, no faith. No matter what it was, was not allowed in Albania for fifty years. These people had no Bible, they had no churches, they had no missionaries, they had no one preaching the gospel. Now, most of the people in that room had become Christians since communism had fallen. Because as soon as communism fell in the early 90s, the the church rushed in with the message of Christ. But there were people in that room who, during communism, came to know Christ. And they came to know him like this. I had a dream. And there was a man who appeared to me in a dream and said, come to me. And they said to the man, who are you? And the man answered, I'm Jesus. I mean, I was stunned. I mean, there were a number of people in that room who had dreams or visions or things happened in their life that brought them to Jesus. Billy Graham, in a letter he sent to supporters in 1989, told of a mother in an African nation who came to Christ and grew stronger in her commitment and devotion to the Lord. This story, by the way, I want to tell you straight out, is so unbelievable. You're going to go try and look it up to see if this is really true. Uh, I did like 10 different times this week. She was alienated from her husband. Her husband didn't want to come to know the Lord. She grew in her faith, and her husband came to despise both her and Jesus. His anger and bitterness reached a climax, When he decided to kill his wife and their two children. He decided he would accuse her of stealing his keys. Now that may not sound like a big deal to you. Uh, Did you take my keys? But um, in this society the keys were for his house, uh, his car. And he was a prominent banker. So it was the keys to the bank. So he was going to accuse her of stealing the keys. And then kill her and the children. So he went over a river. And on a bridge, and he threw his keys into, into the water. Later that afternoon, his wife goes to the fish market to buy the evening meal. And she was getting the fish, to her astonishment, she was gutting the fish. And to her astonishment, when she gutted the fish, in the fish, she found her husband's keys. She's like, oh, my husband's keys. She had no idea. She cleans them up. Washes them off, hangs them on a hook in the house. Her husband comes home that night. He's drunk. He, he knocks on the door, and he's yelling, Woman, what have you done with my keys? You've stolen my keys. Already in bed, she gets up, picks them off the hook in the bedroom, hands them to her husband at the door. When he sees the keys, he immediately sobers up, He falls on his knees sobbing, asking for forgiveness, and confesses Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. Now, your conversion may not be quite as dramatic as that. (laughs) But here's what it says to me. The kingdom of God will not be thwarted. His message cannot be stopped. The greatness of Jesus is not just out there for others. The greatness of Jesus is personal. It is for you, and it is for me. And church, it is time, is it not time, that we woke up to realize the great God and Savior that we serve? If we can ever really get a hold, I think of this this first point, that Jesus is greater than anything, including me, Including my problems, including my circumstances, including my situation, including anything else, Jesus is greater than. There's nothing that can stop the church of Jesus Christ that gets a hold of who Jesus really is. Two final points quickly, and they are this. First, the greatness of Jesus is also consistent, it's consistent. Listen, circumstances are always changing, are they not? People say one thing to you one day, totally different thing to you another day. There is uncertainty, there is chaos in the world. Money is up, money's down. Look, if you solely concentrate on your circumstances, you will never be able to sleep at night. But the Word of God is this, but you. Speaking of Jesus, Hebrews 1.12, But you remain the same, and your years will never end. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Because Jesus is also God, what does that mean? He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. The gospel is unchanging. The good news of Jesus Christ, that God in the flesh became a man went to the cross and died on our sins so that we could be made right with God, the message never changes. If you're not careful, your life will be built on uncertain foundations, the circumstances, your health. Um, this past Monday, as I'm sure you know Robin Williams, probably the greatest comic mind of my generation, took his own life. It just goes to show you that you can have everything, at least what we perceive as everything. You can have talent. You can have money. You can have fame. You can have people who love you. You can have all sorts of things, but sometimes the darkness is so dark in our lives that we cannot find our way out by ourselves. Things change. Circumstances change. Our health, our job, our family. The only constant in your life concerning your circumstances is change. But the real constant in your life is that the Word of God stands firm throughout all generations. It is consistent because the Word is Jesus. The greatness of Jesus which plays off of this, is also eternal. Verse 8 says this. But about the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever, and righteousness will be the scepter of your kingdom. Christ is the king today. He's the king tomorrow. And he's going to be the king forever. No matter what happens, Jesus is always going to be my eternal king. Now again... This is not just a theological point that I'm trying to you to get a hold. This this should cause joy to rise up within us. The one who is our savior and our friend is also the king. The, do you hear me? The one who both saves you and loves you and is your friend is also the king of kings. Now. The reason that should cause joy to rise up within us is we know someone. You don't know just someone, you know the one. In closing, when I was in, most of you know I was a music major in college and in seminary. I know I, I look much more manly than most music majors, but um, I was a music major in college and in seminary. And one of the favorite, really, one of my all-time favorite anthems, songs, that the choirs that I sang in college and in seminary is based on an old Methodist hymn. And Jane Marshall took the text and reframed framed it. Um, and, and I just want to read you this poem. It's this. My God, I love thee. And then he... he It's almost like a series of questions and answers. My God, I love thee. Why? Not because I hope for heaven thereby, nor yet because who love thee not must die eternally. Thou, O my Jesus, thou didst me upon the cross embrace. For me didst bear the nails, the nails and spear and manifold disgrace. Again, a question, why? then why, O blessed Jesus Christ, should I not love thee well? Here's his answer. Not for the hope of winning heaven or of escaping hell, not with the hope of gaining aught, not seeking a reward, but as thyself hast loved me, O ever-loving Lord. Even so, I love thee and will love, and in thy praise will sing solely, because thou art my God and my eternal King. Let's pray. Jesus, we pray today that you would forgive us for making less of you than you really are. Forgive us where in compromise, we have tried to recreate you into an image that we can control. A Jesus that we think will communicate with other people better because it's a softer Jesus. A lesser Jesus. Lord, forgive us where at times we have, we have struggled thinking that you don't love us or you can't speak to us personally because we're so bad and you're so great. Jesus, I pray today that we will love you because you first loved us. That we will fall down on our knees and worship that you are our God and our eternal king. Your message, your kingdom, your plan, your purpose, your destiny for us, it will not be thwarted. Lord, let faith and joy and hope rise up within us today because we know that, Jesus, you are greater than my sin. Jesus, you are greater than my weakness. Jesus, you are greater than any work the devil can throw against us. You are greater than any angel. You are greater. You're greater than our sickness. You're greater than our problems. You're greater than our addictions. Lord Jesus, you are greater. And I pray that, Jesus, today you will touch our hearts and our lives. Holy Spirit, be present here today. We ask, as we come to a time where we pray for one another, that, Jesus, you would move among us and touch us at our point of need. Thank you. Stand up with me if you would. I'm going to ask ministry teams to come to the front. I'm going to ask all of our ministry teams to come to the front. Just move right now. And if you're here today and you need this Jesus that I've been talking about, this Jesus to touch you at your point of need, maybe you have a health problem, maybe you have a, a, an issue, maybe there's something going on in your life and you need somebody to pray with you. Maybe you just need... A fresh infusion of the power and presence of God in your life. To consider this Jesus greater than anything in your life. While Adrian leads us, just come and get prayer right now. There are tons of teams. I, I want to say to you uh, today, I really feel the presence of the Lord here to, for breakthrough. I'm not trying to manipulate you. I, I, I'm not dependent on how many people come and receive prayer. What I am concerned about is that God would break through in your life today. So if you need prayer, just come as Adrian leads us.